drinking tea. Okay. We're recording. Like we're, we're just drinking tea. It's here. fine. Right. At, at at our guest's house. The Can guests. you talk closer to the mic, Sam? Well, <laughs> For the love of fucking God, just talk right, closer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold it. I'm gonna hold it. I'm taking right. it. I'm taking it out of the stand. I'm holding it. Okay. <laughs> All right, okay. so this is Massive Contradictions. Massive Contradictions. It's the November episode. Uh, yes, we're we're like running, we're running kind of late, so we're gonna try to get this out before the end of November. Are there any like updates we should give before we do the main event? Yeah, if our guest doesn't mind, we should just quickly follow up. What did you so, want to talk about? We already talked before about Ayanna Presley. Yeah, new yeah. member of Congress, member of the Squad. She endorsed Elizabeth Warren. That's predictable. Yeah, that was not a surprise. I think we we discussed how, you know, she's like progressive, but not exactly the same as Alexandria. And so it wasn't shocking. She endorsed Warren. Some people pointed this out on Twitter and got like hugely dogpiled because people thought that they were attacking Ayanna Presley by pointing out that she's not exactly the same as the rest of the squad. But it's just a fact. So, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. People are different. People are different. It's okay. Do be you do you. Do you. Also, do me. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please, I'm desperate. This is not aimed at Ayanna Presley, no, but no, no, no. just in general. That was a general just comment a general towards thing. all genders. All genders. We're we're down with them all. Yes. Or you are. Yeah. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> Deval Patrick. Yes, our favorite pass-through entity. Corporate pass-through entity uh, is, is also supposedly running for president. He's running for president. So we're not sure if he's like alive and if he's just a, a shell corporation, basically. I think he's a shell corporation. He's a shell corporation. So he had to cancel an event recently because only two people showed up. And he, yeah, he's wonderful. We love Bain Capital. We love Bain Capital. We should just, corporations are people. Why doesn't Bain Capital run? They should just run. They should just. They should have a line on the on the ballot. Why not? I I think that's a great idea, Sam. Okay. Oh, and the the Mass Citizens Commission is still technically meeting. Sometimes doesn't have a quorum. And now, of course, they're panicking about whether they're going to finish before the end of the year or not. Which was also completely foreseeable. How are they going to go through all of that and make a report when you can barely get six of them in a room? So, well, I have faith, Sam. Hope springs eternal. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if they come up with anything by the end of December. All right. Well, where are we, Sam? Tell us where we're, we are. We're in Brooklyn. We're in Brooklyn. Oh, my Lord. Greenpoint. We have a, like a, is this a Formica table? Yeah. Yeah. Like nice vintage Formica in this like, yeah, facing a nice courtyard. Beautiful. North Brooklyn. We're drinking um, drinks. We slept here from the G train. Which is like the hippest train, right? Does it like run all week? Is it? Oh, it, it, it runs all the time now, but it, it does. used okay. to have problems. Okay, so there's been an improvement there. Yeah. There's like house plants around us. Yeah. Like there's there's some sort of fern thing, you know, nibbling at my ear right now. Yeah, it's tropical, tropical. Yeah, and we came here, we passed the Polish apothecary, we passed the Pilates studio, we got a whole Brooklyn thing. Yeah, and we're at the home of Emily Gallagher, right? Yeah. Who is a candidate for what state assembly? That's what state they call assembly in, the state. in New York, right? So we're we're on a little vacation, guys. Yeah, we're it's a little exotic. We're going south. Yes, it's very exotic. 
So we're going to talk to our special guest, who is actually our host. It's like a reversal thing. The guest has become the host. Yes. Um, Emily Gallagher. It's a Black Mirror episode. So <laughs> say hello and and tell us, what is, what is the district you're running for? Sure. So hi. Thank you for having me on the show. This is District 50, the 50th Assembly District in Brooklyn. So Kings County mm-hmm. is what we call ourselves. Brooklyn is technically Kings, right. right? So is it basically coterminous with Greenpoint, more or less? So it's Greenpoint, Williamsburg, and then a chunk of another neighborhood that's been chopped up, which is Clinton Hill. Is that like a gerrymandering thing, or is yeah. it just okay? Yeah, it's it's very much like along, you know, I think mostly along like kind of ethnic and political lines that the neighborhood got chopped up. So it's it's interesting that it's actually shifted even in the last couple decades okay exclude like a half of a street that a former candidate lived on that sort of stuff okay good good the the politicians get to choose their voters yeah that's right okay are you from new york originally how did you get here so i'm from new york state i'm from i grew up in rochester new york uh technically to be 100% honest, I was born outside of Washington, D.C., but I moved okay. to Rochester when I was four. They're going to ding you for that. I know. I know. I'm from the I'm from the Beltway or whatever. Oh, no. Maryland. Kids. <laughs> so um, I moved to Rochester when I was four, and then I grew up there. I went to Ithaca College, which is like halfway between mm-hmm. Rochester and New York City. And then I continued my trickle down to the city and I've been here in this very neighborhood for 13 years. 13 years, okay. So my entire adult life I've spent in this neighborhood. So I feel that, you know, it's been very, a big part of my formative years and- How so? Like how did you get to know the neighborhood since you moved here? Oh, great question. Well, I um, when I first moved here, I came for, Work opportunities, like so many people do. New York City story. And I was working in art, and I was working a few internships and, you know, barely making ends meet. I think uh, I had three jobs. So I had a paid part-time job. I had a paid internship, and then I had an unpaid internship. And I worked every single day of the week, and I lived on my friend's floor, And my goal was to get like an art museum job or something like that. But what ended up happening was that I I became pretty jaded about the art world pretty quickly in terms of the established gallery world, that sort of thing, uh, because I felt that it was really much more capitalist than I had realized as a student. Mm. And it was very much about courting people who had wealth to purchase art and then to give the art to the institutions so that the wealthy person got a tax break, right? Okay. So I was on both sides of that in the gallery world. And then uh, eventually I got a job as an acquisitions assistant for a museum. And I thought acquisitions assistant meant that I was going to get to um, choose things, choose things. And what it actually meant was that I would court, I, I was like the secretary for two people who would court wealthy people. And this was before the recession. So I met a lot of the people who worked at the companies that caused our financial crisis and went to their homes. And I felt very uncomfortable. And I remember one time, it's funny how naive I was. 
one time I was outside while my boss was smoking and I just said, you know, I'm more like a socialist than a capitalist. And like, I don't, I don't like meeting all these rich people. <laughs> oh, I bet he loved that, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, then weeks went by and I came to learn that this person was, you know, from a very established, wealthy family. And it just was very uncomfortable from that point on, you know? So this, this is all to say that I, in desperation, this does come back to the neighborhood, don't worry. In desperation, I went looking for activist artists that I could work for. Mm. And I wrote um, one named Steve Lambert, who does anti, he does like, he used to do what was called culture jamming, and he does kind of thought-provoking things on anti-capitalism. Anti-advertising agency was one of his projects uh, that I worked on. I, I wrote to him, and I just told him my whole story. And he said, come and work for me. Like You can be my project assistant. So I worked for him, and then I ended up working for two other artists at iBeam, uh, which all, does all kind of activist art. And one of the projects was about Superfund sites. And I came to learn that this was the year after I moved here. There were many Superfund sites in this district and, and immediately surrounding it. Mm. So that made me become interested in... And just to, just to clarify, so Superfund is oh, where good. there's some kind of toxic waste uh, polluting the area. And so federal... You have to get federal money right. to help clean it out. Right. Well, we were working on federal ones for this project, but there's also a state level super fund. Okay. And there's I've now I've come to learn the whole gamut. There's brownfields, there's, you mm. know, there's mm. many different right. ways of classifying um, toxicity. And this neighborhood has a long industrial past. There's a lot of what is called toxic legacies in this mm. neighborhood. I started to get really interested in that. I had this awakening that it wasn't it wasn't enough to just talk about it as, you know, part of this intellectual community that it was really important that as a, a resident of the community that I get actually involved in the work. So so I lived here for about 1 year and then I joined a group called NAG which had originally been Neighbors Against Garbage. Um, who had been working to fight um, illegal garbage dumps on the waterfront. And they did a lot of work around lead and toxic legacies and um, making sure that we were actually getting them cleaned up. And I came to learn about the activist history in this neighborhood and, you know, the incredible, intense commitment that a lot of my neighbors have. I really went there to learn about the neighborhood and learn how they had done what they had done. And to be a participant through that, I got to know a lot of the story of the neighborhood. That eventually became my main identity, that I was a neighborhood activist. So when you joined in with these groups and networks, like what sort of people did you did you hook up with? Was it like really longtime residents of, of Greenpoint, Williamsburg? What what sort of people, what sort of backgrounds? Yeah, so that was something that I really appreciated about NAG was that it was founded um, by a combination of lifelong residents and artists who had come to the neighborhood in the 80s and 90s 
to fight together. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that concept because I think a lot of times different generations of a community are pitted against each other when really we should be building allyships and really working to think about what the future of the community is that we want and how can we build that together and what do we have in common that we want mm-hmm. the neighborhood to become. And there's so much that that newcomers and people who have a long established connection to the neighborhood share. And I think a lot of the things that separate us are, you know, issues around that are actually caused by the banking industry and by income inequality and real estate. Those are the things that separate us. They're not actually human separations. It's inequality separations. Mm -hmm. So if we can work together to, fight those, it's actually really powerful. So I I came to know lifelong Greenpoint residents. And we also work in Williamsburg and have a lot of connections with Southside organizations, um, which have a little bit different problems over by the Williamsburg Bridge. And they have, um, they mostly are a long-term Latino community. And there's also long-term Hasidic communities. And and there have been numerous times in this neighborhood's history where those three groups have come together to fight for the common good. So it's wow. it's really, a, this neighborhood has a really dynamic history. As, as a participant, I've found that we spend a lot of time talking about the past, but not a lot of time talking about the future. And that's something that has really inspired me to run because I think that there's a lot worth protecting here. And I think that we are not necessarily taking the steps that we need to take to keep this neighborhood as dynamic and healthy. So what sort of steps are you thinking of? I mean, since since you, you, know, you mentioned now you're running for state assembly, mm-hmm. right? What kind of things do you think you want to call for in, in Albany? Because that's, you know, that's where your office right. will be. What sort of things like unify the people here? Right. And, and the thing that I really like about the, the idea of being in Albany is that I also see threads of connection between what's happened here in Brooklyn and what's happened in my hometown where I grew up and what happened in Ithaca. So I I actually see how these would positively impact the entire state, but would be coming from the needs of this community. Um, So some of the things that I really wanna see, between the city and the state, there's a pretty big disconnect in communication. And there's actually, I don't know if if you have this in in Massachusetts, like with Boston or anything, but there's a, a lot of competition between like our mayor and our governor for control. And that bleeds down through the whole system. So there's a lot of situations where a topic might be split between the two governments, and there's not a lot of integration. So for example, with housing, the HPD, which is Housing Preservation and Development, and the DOB. Is it EDC? It's it's not, well, the EDC also is involved They're in here. the mix, right. But um, there's a third agency. It's a whole alphabet soup. <laughs> there's an alphabet soup, you know. But all of these things come together and they don't share information. Basically, the, the state level one is tracking what buildings have rent stabilization. Like this building 
mm-hmm. um, which you can see is quite antique. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's lots it's of very wood vintage. paneling. Yeah, very vintage. But the but rent control and stabilization right. are all state law. They're all state law. Right, and the city like kind of can't do it. The city can't do it, and the the state doesn't even share that mm. information mm. easily. With the city. And these mm-hmm. are things that could be very easily integrated into modern, you know, computer platforms or anything like that with some effort. So basically, the people who are tracking what apartments are protected are not connected to the 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 people who are in charge of enforcing against tenant harassment, against building violations, against illegal evictions. There's this big lull when you're trying to get help. And usually when you're being harassed out of your apartment or you're having some kind of situation and usually the rent stabilized buildings have more of the the poor care than the other types. Um, although that's not universally true. Mm-hmm. All of these types of all, all real estate has problems, but you're calling for enforcement and they send somebody pretty late. You don't know if your building even has certain kinds of protections, it, it should send a really big red flag that um, your building, um, you're experiencing like demolition in your building and it's a rent stabilized building. That should set off a siren, right? Mm-hmm, like this mm-hmm. is intentional right. or, you know, this is going to ultimately benefit the landlord's pocket. Right, right. And and so people know it's common for landlords to do things like say, we're tearing out and replacing all your kitchens. And then they leave it torn up for months as a way of really trying to get you out of the building so they can bring in someone else and right. keep increasing the rent. Right, because every time somebody leaves, the rent goes you can, can go up. You can legally put the rent up. Now, and what do you think? There are various ideas that have been floated and talked about like, uh, legal representation. Mm-hmm. Whenever there's any kind of eviction proceeding, uh, the tenant should have a lawyer to represent them, just the same as in a criminal trial. I know that's been talked about. Also, so so I'd be interested what you think about that or any other of those sorts of ideas. And then also there's the kind of Bloomberg slash de Blasio policy of allow for more building, mm-hmm. but ensure that a certain fraction of it is affordable Mm -hmm. in quotation marks. I mean, what, what do you think about either of those things? Right. So I think I, I definitely am, am for having more resources for people who are going to housing court. I think housing court is a nightmare for most people. And especially for people who have jobs that are, are not salaried, but are hourly, it can become a total disaster for your ability to stay afloat if you're spending all this time in housing court and you're not able to like um, strategically represent yourself because you don't know how the whole thing works and, and the whole thing happens very quickly. You know, we just passed a big collection of tenant protections in, mm-hmm. in our state. But those should have been passed a really long time ago. And the reason why they got passed this last year was because we had a revitalization of the state Senate where we got rid of the what was called the Independent Democratic 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 <laughs> Caucus. Sounds like a fun party. <laughs> Freudian. But but yeah, a lot of uh, so if anyone doesn't know who's not from New York, because right. the word got out in New York. Mm-hmm. There was this faction of the Democratic Party that actually 
voted for the Republican right. leadership. They were Democrats in name only. And that's very common in New York State. That is mm-hmm. actually how the game is played here, which is something that's very difficult for a lot of like progressive people to understand when if they're transplanted to this city is the game is totally played in one half of the court. Mm-hmm. Like so registering as an independent or Green Party, you just don't get to play in the game at all. You're benched. Right. right. And the Democratic Party is a machine that kind of does whatever it right. wants. And they yeah. have like a really strong what they're calling the incumbent protection racket. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. do a lot of things and create a lot of rules that'll just kind of keep the same um, leadership in place for for a long time. Yeah. And and the and my opponent has actually been in office for 47 years. Wow. So that in a state assembly seat. Yeah. That's in that one seat. Yeah. Wow. So I've never heard of that i mean i've heard of senators who hung on there for like 50 years that's amazing yeah so tell us about your opponent my opponent is a very he's a very like caring kind person about the neighborhood Mm -hmm. and i know that he really cares about the community but i also have noticed through my decade of activism that he he doesn't really like to take risks on Mm. policy. And I think for what I was saying before about having a vision of the future, Mm -hmm. we need someone in that role and in our state Senate who can work together to build policy for the future that's going to help um, shift the status quo. And so I think that, you know, what what my opponent mostly does is is vote in you know vote for or against bills but it's very rare to see a new bill that's been proposed that's really like cutting edge or like going to shift the status quo a lot of a lot of the things that maybe are a little closer to you know a, a, some of the bills that get proposed they might be like helpful but usually they're like a a bandaid on a bullet wound so it's not systemic change. It's it's just kind of like comfort. So what's an example of something yeah. that he would or he has or would vote yes for that you would maybe vote no no for and what would be your alternative? So I know that he has spoken out in favor of having more cops in the subway and I know that he is very connected to um you know, believing in the the kind of power, a, a positive power of the NYPD um, and of the state um, cops. And I really think that we need to be shifting the way that we do criminal justice altogether. I, I'm coming at this as a, a survivor of sexual assault and um and rape even though that's never fun to like say i usually just say sexual violence uh but i know from you know i'm in a community of women who have gone through these things we find each other you know and and it's not hard because most women have had some kind of experience like this and i've seen how the justice system has failed um, my friends, but I also think that it's a very complicated 
complicated issue that goes back to education. It goes back to our culture. It goes back to a lot of of deeply embedded things in our in our social structure, right? So it's not as if putting people in jail is going to necessarily help the situation. You know, it's very complicated. It needs very it needs equally complicated handling. Crime is it's a social problem, yes. right? And it's not necessarily just, oh, if you put more cops in X or Y place right. that solves the problem. But if we say, you know, the NYPD is a huge police force, mm-hmm. like one of the biggest in the world. New York State police are very big too. A lot right. of presence. How how might you want to use those resources? differently. Well, I know that there's a protest coming up soon about accessibility to the subway and how uh, our subway system, as I'm sure you experience, is one of the least accessible in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's almost never a functioning elevator. Uh, it took an ADA lawsuit, a class action lawsuit for them to actually put in the elevators that are going in now. Most of the time they're broken. And there, it's also just like there's so many other issues within the transit system that are inaccessible. These police that are increasingly being placed in the subway stations are mainly there to watch for turnstile yes. jumpers. As if this is like the big crime that people in New York are worried about. Right. It's like a few teenagers might jump the turnstile. And, <laughs> and the problem with the subway is not turnstile jumping. The problem... So if you want to make an argument that the problem with the subway is that it's under-resourced, well, the actual root of that is poor choices in financing in the early 2000s and purchases of of some cars that are actually already being used as reef in the Atlantic Ocean because they were so dysfunctional and useless. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are always having to put debt ahead of like ridership or rider experience because we have so much debt in in what's happened with the subway. Mm -hmm. So we are always constantly short on money with the subway, but that's always getting put in this state on the rider's back. And that is not something that happens universally around the world. Other, Other cities that have functioning public transportation that is a pleasure to ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have other ways of funding it. Yeah. Like congestion pricing, which we finally got. But, you mm-hmm. know, I was part of the movement to fight for that. And mm-hmm. and it really took, dra- we really dragged the incumbent across the finish line on that. He, and that, and he was not, he was not openly supporting that until the mm-hmm. very last minute. And it happens to be that a few weeks before um, that vote was, there was an article basically writing that he needed to um, watch his back because he was not doing the progressive things that people mm-hmm. wanted and someone was going to run against him. So I feel so that... He, he's a go with the wind kind of... Yes, he fellow. goes with okay. the wind, yeah. And and just and the, the, the congestion pricing, so that was enacted recently, right? And that is specifically for midtown Manhattan, right? right. The big over... Right, coming in, people driving in from like New Jersey and other suburban places, and also um, from Staten Island and from you know different parts of the city. One of the things that people have been talking about is potentially tolling all the bridges, Uh, and I think you know it's a very complicated issue because there's a lot of people who are 
really accustomed to relying on their car. And certainly um, in terms we were talking about disability rights, there are people who do need that kind mm-hmm. of transport. Mm-hmm. But the reality is what we've learned recently, especially, is when there's less cars on the road, those things actually function better. And if we can take more cars off of the road, like private cars that are driving one person, we're actually going to have more room for speedy public transportation and more money to make those function. Yeah. And my personal opinion is that most of Manhattan should be pedestrian only. (laughs) Yeah. Only horse carts? (laughs) Only horse carts. Well, I mean, public transit, emergency vehicles, and, you know, more subway, better reliable subway, and then not have private single person cars, you know, like, which is the way it is in like, old cities in Europe right. or places like that. Like you, you you park when you get there and then it's pedestrian in the city. And I think, you know, a great shining example of this is now the 14th Street Busway. I don't know if you've heard about Yeah, this. we've been to it. Yeah. I think we have. We have. Maybe, Maybe we haven't. <laughs> it's, by, it's, it's all of 14th Street. So it just has happened um, in the last few months. Okay. But the impetus for it was that they were going to shut down um, the L train, which also serves this neighborhood. Oh my neighborhood. Lord, yeah. And this, you know, the whole L train debacle could be a whole nother episode of your podcast. Yeah, I won't really. even get into that. But basically it was this long-term plan that they spent years designing. One of the agreements with cycling activists and with public transit activists was that they were going to remove private cars from 14th Street and make it what was called a people's way. So it's all buses and delivery trucks only and and cyclists. Mm. Um, So if you're in any other kind of car, you can't drive even a cab. And that's during, you know, that's during the the bulk of the day at Late at night, it opens up to cars again. But during the bulk of the day um, and the important hours of the night, um, it's closed. And it is actually – so when they canceled the plan to shut down the L, people in Manhattan fought against that plan from happening. There was a big lawsuit about it. And ultimately, the judge decided that, you know, this bus plan should go forward. It's actually been a huge success, and we've mm. seen ridership rising. The buses are functioning better. People are happier. There's like all these jokes now that like that's the hot date spot in New York City. <laughs> um, Getting on a bus. Yeah. Cool. Well, well, it's like because now you can actually cross the street and mm. you can do things yeah. in that area. Yeah. So you have, you know, the the joke date is you go to the the Union Square Wines and you get a bottle of wine, and then you go to Joe's Pizza, and that's part of the joke because he was complaining about what he perceived to be a loss in business, but he's actually an increase increase. in business. So I think with examples like this, we can see that there are creative ways that we can make the city more functional. And the fact of the matter is, if we don't take any risks, we're never going to find those creative solutions Mm -hmm. that are actually Mm going to make the city better for everyone. So tell us about your campaign. You you've got all the legalities and formalities, mm-hmm. right? You you're uh, you're filed, right? Yes. You're officially on the ballot. Do you have a team? Are you raising money? Yeah. So um, I'm really really lucky. I have a pretty remarkable team working with me. I've been part of a political reform club for a while um, since about 2000. I would say I joined in probably around 2010. 
So I've met a lot of people who who believe as I do that, you know, the other piece of activism is having responsive and and meaningful representation. So through that network of people, I've found fantastic visionary activists who are political activists. I have a, a wonderful campaign manager who is just whip smart and uh, really dedicated to to our cause. And he and I really connected because we come from a similar um, cultural background of we both grew up listening to punk and and really being part of like a subcultural movement of like do it yourself. Is that a big thing in Rochester? It is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. I have an aunt in Rochester. Yeah. She's definitely like, not punk. <laughs> she isn't well well but Rochester it's like it seems to have little shades of kind of Cleveland, right? It's, it's very that, it's yeah. very Midwestern. Yeah. Rochester. Yeah. And um when I was growing up, a lot of my finding like punk community was on the internet. So it wasn't necessarily like that visible to me before the internet. But yeah, in in Ithaca, you know, you've got all the environmentalists and the eco houses and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And my campaign manager actually went to Binghamton University, but he's from this area. Okay, um, Binghamton, that's hardcore. Yeah, Binghamton is like one of the... Binghamton. Yeah, and that, that university is actually... Very, very punk. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it kind of has to be, right, being in Binghamton. Yeah. Like, it's like, what else is going to be going on there? But yeah. Totally. So I have a campaign manager. I have, of course, a treasurer. And I have um, a fundraising um, manager. What's your What's your outlook for your strategy for getting votes? You're going to canvas. One of the things that we've learned through our research, and I've also been working with, you know, those the people I just mentioned are are the people that you know are the the absolute um, inner circle. Inner circle, and I also have a designer who's who's done all the work for free because I know him from mm. activism, and he he shares this passion and he is fantastic. I have a social media coordinator. Um, you know, everybody's coming to me with their skills and like offering them and it's really inspiring. And it's something that really I want to amplify is that this isn't this I'm just the actor at as the I'm like Wendy of Wendy's. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Like I'm the, You're the little face drawing. Of the operation. Um but like there's a whole <laughs> community of people who share the beliefs that I hold mm-hmm. that are working together towards this. It's a movement. It's a movement. We were talking about the strategy. Oh, the What's strategy. So um, one of the things that we found through our research, a friend of mine um, was looking into the data on this neighborhood. And what we found was that actually 70%, roughly 70% of people in this community were born after 1973, which is when the incumbent was originally elected. So the bulk of the people who live in this neighborhood are actually essentially my generation or or slightly older than me. I'm 35. So this is a a community that is predominantly, um, predominantly people who are unaware of their representation, of what that representation can do, what the options, what could the be, options yeah. could be, and so our our big piece of our strategy is education, voter education, and really getting to some of these pockets that have been um, dispossessed by the the status quo. Because one of the strategies of 
the party, the mm-hmm. the machine, the political machine, is to really make it confusing um, how the Democratic Party works here, how the voting works. We have a lot of different days that you have to vote on different issues that aren't really amplified. People don't know who they're voting for. People don't know that there's an election. Like, this primary is going to be on June 23rd. That's after the presidential primary. It's going to be state, and it's going to be congressional primary. And that's actually an improvement. You know, we've been working at the super local level, um, the county level to even change all the voting rules are made at the county level. Mm-hmm. So there's all of these layers upon layers upon layers. Yeah. And if you're not spending all of your hobby time studying this, like a nerd like I am is, mm-hmm. then you really, there's no reason why we should expect that you would know what's going on. And that's intentional, you know? The the people who are meant to be voting in these elections know when they all are. Right. If the people have been chosen to be in the loop. Right. Um, well, and we understand you mentioned earlier that you got an endorsement. Oh, yeah. So I have two endorsements so far. One is from the Reform Club, um, New Kings Democrats. And I've I've been connected with them for a long time, so I knew that we really shared the same... Um, ethos and the same perspective and that's really like they're they're a left wing club that's really interested in um, changing the opening up the government then this past week I got an endorsement from Brooklyn Young Democrats which is actually the the youth arm of the official Kings County Democratic Mm -hmm. Party Mm -hmm. so that felt really exciting to me because That's a well, first of all, every time a group endorses you, it's like amazing because it just it means that the message that you're speaking is actually connecting with people. And and this last one was interesting because I I wasn't sure if I was going to get it because I we both were going for it myself and the incumbent. So it, it, it does make me feel a bit of momentum. Um, I knew that the reformers were going to support me. And I think since 2014, Brooklyn Young Dems has been um, working also on reforming um, the community. Well, when I think about young Democrats in Brooklyn, I mean, I think about these people coming up like Julia Salazar and a lot of DSA members. Right. And a lot of a lot of the people in these groups hold multiple memberships are part of all the clubs. Right. Serial joiners. Yeah. Yeah. So and have you had any communication with any of these other left groups like like DSA? I know they're different. Yeah. So um, the DSA had their endorsement process first. They have a, a, a vision of really working together as like a strategy. So they've chosen all people in central Brooklyn who are running and they're piling their resources there. The North Brooklyn DSA and I have a very positive relationship. I know that they're going to be part of the team that makes this happen for me. But not as, breaking as any for, campaign finance laws. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as a um, an official endorsement, they they chose not to endorse in this race, in part because they have this this strategy that they're they're working with. I, and every chapter is different. I know the Worcester chapter didn't endorse anyone in the recent elections in Worcester because they were 
very new and saying, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really have the time and the resources right. to research everyone. So right. it's a complicated thing. The DSA is a complicated thing. It sure is. Well, yeah. and it's and it's like it's like exploding. It's burgeoning. Right. Yeah, it really <laughs> so, is. And mm-hmm. a lot of them are still figuring out what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's see. You talked about making housing, certain housing situations easier for regular working people. You talked oh. about and one thing I wanted to say, you had brought up, sorry to interrupt. You. That's fine. One thing, you had brought up the the building, building more. In this neighborhood, we were kind of the pilot for the rezoning mechanism of luxury financing. Um, affordable. Like, like the Williamsburg area. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And that's all in the district. A lot of those are 421A, which means that there's a tax exemption for the developer for including affordability. And I think that system's very, very broken. Yeah. And didn't Donald Trump benefit from that? Oh, I think I've been yeah, told. So yeah. many, so <laughs> many. I, I don't know the veracity of that, but... Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of questionable developers lot, yeah. and, building luxury. And, and there's just a lot of ways around. I mean, Jared Kushner definitely is a big part of that community. But, you know, this is this is an opportunity that we could be using to tax people who have a lot of resources. There's no reason why we should be giving breaks to people who have the resources. The yeah. there's a theory that if we tax the wealthy, they'll go elsewhere, but that's just not been proven. There's a cachet in New York that's never going to go away. Where there and there's always this blackmail, right? And doesn't hasn't Andrew Cuomo said the same thing? Oh no, well we can't let we can't renew the existing millionaires right. tax because right. then the millionaires will leave New York, and it's yeah. And they say the same thing at the national level. Oh, but what if the billionaires move to Haiti? You know, like. They can do that, but that's not really how the world works, right? right. There's this right. threat. It's there always this sort of blackmail threat. Yeah. yeah, and there's like so many people who could be efficiently taxed who are not being efficiently taxed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the burden of that goes on the entire city because having a dysfunctional infrastructure is is damaging, yeah. For everyone. And that is what's making New York an unattractive place to live. Yeah, oh man, we had we had that yesterday. Oh yes. How do you get around this freaking city anymore? And it's gotten worse, right? Yeah. The subway and the traffic. Yeah. People are Ubering, the Ubers are clogging up the streets, but yeah, we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't get into that, right? Yeah, you were right, yes. okay. <laughs> you but were recapping you, and I interrupted on, you. Yes, yeah, I'm I'm recapping. Recapping. You've <laughs> touched on some housing reform stuff, making stuff a little bit easier for people to navigate the complicated process of not being kicked out of their apartments illegally, mm-hmm. improvements to public transportation, incentivizing use. We've talked about that a lot of laws are intentionally complex to mm-hmm. make it hard for regular people to participate in the legal system. What are some of the other issues before we wrap up that are important to you that you also want? to talk about. I would say the other two major issues for me are environmentalism, both a dual approach with resiliency and um, continuing to improve the the cleanup structure. And and do you know, just this is something we actually thought of on the way as well. Do you know, will Greenpoint and Williamsburg be affected by the rising sea levels? Oh, we will, we will be the Williamsburg Islands by 2070. This whole, this whole (laughs) neighborhood will be underwater at, at, the status quo. 
Wow. That's a major, major issue. And we did pass in the state a pretty sweeping climate change law, but there's no enforcement Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. So just like housing, just like everything else we've talked about, having ideas is very nice, but like when there's no structure to make them actually um, effectively implemented, implemented, it's not enough. And the other thing is this neighborhood, because of the staunch fighters and activists in it, when we were able to get a settlement from ExxonMobil, which a group of activists worked on for over 30 years, mm. ExxonMobil trashed this neighborhood, okay, or their their predecessor. It took an enormous fight. We didn't get the amount of money that we really were de- we deserved. And then because this neighborhood is full of activists, they were able to get it locked into a fund that served this community, which was called GSEF and um, Greenpoint Community Environmental Fund. There's no reason why that shouldn't be the status quo for all polluted communities. Mm-hmm. All polluted communities should get access to the money that comes from the lawsuit. And a lot of times when communities sue, they end up in a settlement that is really not just for the amount of degradation that happened to their community. Mm-hmm. So I want to see more structure around that too. And I want to see a fully funded DEP. And the last thing that is really, really vital to me, which is connected to what we were talking about with transit is a safe streets program. I am I'm very close with cycling activists and pedestrian activists. And I have learned quite a bit, unfortunately, from personal experience as well, about how many people are killed or maimed or injured on our streets because of the way that they're designed. We have Vision Zero in the city, but it is across the state. And it's also many of the the details of the way our streets function are uh, at the state level. So we need somebody who's been a pedestrian and a cyclist in the state Mm. to help shepherd those laws through. I want to see a crash victims bill of rights Mm. and I want to see other, other things because right now, if you kill someone with a car, there's, there's no, or a truck, there's really no punishment for that. Many of the people who have been discovered to be the drivers in these hit and runs that have killed people. We've already lost 28 people this year. Wow. In New York city, New York city. Okay. When they do find the person who did the hit and run, a lot of times they're driving with multiple suspended licenses. Their their company has um, not been following the rules of how many hours they can drive. There's, you know, maybe they're doing a route that doesn't make any sense, you know. So mm. we have a waste equity bill that was just passed here by um, Antonio Reynoso's team and the city council, which is going to change the routes that garbage trucks have. But this is just one layer of a mm-hmm. very deep issue. Yeah. And and it's and it's very clearly dysfunctional. You can tell immediately in New York that it's not as safe being a pedestrian there as it is in many other big cities mm-hmm. in around the world. You know, if you compare it to like Tokyo, which is just as big, it's so much easier being a pedestrian. Yes. You know, New York is New York and London are like the scariest. Yeah. Really. For and London reason. has been going hard at that. They're changing. Yeah. yeah. So should we ask about website and yeah. how do we how do we how do they how do we how do we do the thing? Well, you can visit Emily for assembly dot com. 
we're building the platform pages now. Uh, so right now you'll just get a landing page with a little background on me, but mm -hmm. the coming soon are all of our pretty robust platforms. I'm very excited about how we've been writing those as well. Okay. We've been connecting with scholars in the field. So we're interviewing experts who who are critics of our system, who are helping us write these platforms. And and I think, you know, governing should be a team effort. Mm. And and I don't see why why it isn't, you know. And is that Emily for like a number or a word? Well, so the great question because it's actually different <laughs> in two different places. So okay. <laughs> The website is F-O-R, Emily okay. for Assembly. And then all of our social, which we would love to have people follow, is M4, like Prince, the number four, M4 Assembly. So that's Instagram, Twitter, and um, Facebook is Emily for Assembly. You want it to be as short as possible on Twitter, that's right? right? Save those characters. Sounds good. Save the characters. Okay, beautiful. Well, thank you so much thank for having for, us. Thank you for talking to me. Yeah, and... You know, that's just the top. That's just the top of what I'm going to do. Thank you Emily so Gallagher. much for having me. I'm Thank a big fan. Us. Oh, great. You're, you're you. one of our 10 fans. You're one of our 10 <laughs> fans. Awesome. All right, Sam, finish your tea. Okay, everyone, happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye. Bye.